excuse me for my nerves this morning. Uh, I am no expert on women. Um, you can ask Lizzie and the girls. I am no expert on what all there is to know about women. But what I want to talk about this morning and is, is not a complete comprehensive uh, study on biblical womanhood. And I feel that, you know, every week, every day, we are constantly um, hammered and enamored, you know, bombarded in this world by all kinds of messages that are contrary to the word of God concerning women. We see it in cultures all around the world and sometimes even uh, cultures in the religious world. In our country, um, the culture is, is often, too often, denies the dignity of womanhood. And we see a culture that distorts the true beauty away from God's design. And we also see a culture that devalues and denigrates women on all sorts of levels. And it could even be said that we live in a world where it's dangerous to be a woman sometimes. We see high-profile public leaders misusing power to exploit women for selfish gain. And just here locally, we learned about a young teenage girl who was uh, manipulated by a predator and ended up being murdered. A very sad, sad story. And the effects are everywhere around us are evident, even in gender confusion, struggling marriages, abandoned, abandoned spouses, single parents, and hurting children. And in the midst of all this, we desperately need to hear from God's word. And the danger that we run up against on this sometimes, we're living in a day where the Bible, God's word, is viewed as antiquated or out of touch on the issues of gender and sexuality, and even those in the religious world, including some, of, some prominent leaders of the religious world, view the Bible as out of touch on these issues. So it's my goal for us to see the beauty of goodness and the goodness of God's Word when it comes to the issues uh, that we've just spoken about. And if you're a baptized believer in Christ, our hope, my hope is to see that you can trust God for what He says in His Word. And if you're not a baptized believer in Christ, my hope is for you to see that God's ways are always more fulfilling than the ways of the world. So today I want to attempt to give a rough, quick, biblical overview of womanhood in a way that I hope um, and have prayed and studied that will be edifying to all women here and potentially beyond the building in this congregation. And also to a reminder as men as well, to rem remember the dignity and the value of women in such a way that we can say or we praise women. And when I say praise, Proverbs 31 and verse 30 says, A woman who is, fears the Lord shall be praised. Of course, we're not obviously not talking about um, praising women in an idolatrous way. That's not what we're talking about. The point is that when we praise women for the goodness of God, that we see in them, we are ultimately praising God himself when we recognize that God has made women in this way. C.S. Lewis said, If we do not admire what is praiseworthy, we shall be stupid, insensible, and great losers. 
And I don't think any of us want to be losers or classified as losers. So I want to see what the Bible and what God's Word says about women uh, through, through the Bible. We'll touch on a few times. We don't have, to have time to turn to every single place uh, in the Scriptures, but we want to touch on eight different affirmations that we can gain from the Word of God. So if you're a woman, my hope that in the next few minutes, God's word will touch you in some way to where it encourages you. And it, and it encourages you to press on. And if we're the men here and here in this building this morning, my hope is that God's word that we study this morning will lead you and I to praise women, to honor them, esteem them, love them, and for husbands to serve and to be able to lay down our lives unselfishly for our wives. So, men, as we go through this, young and old, the question I want us to think about as we go through this lesson is, do the women in my life feel that these affirmations are true by the way that we treat them? So as we go through these, let's think about that. So first thing to every woman, you are dignified and distinguished. We'll start in uh, Genesis 1, verse 26. It says there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, right here in these passages, God is telling women that you are dignified and distinguished, honored and majestic according to the design of God. But your dignity is not dependent upon your physical appearance. Your dignity is not dependent upon your career. It is not dependent upon your marital status. It is not dependent upon any man or any other woman's opinion. Your dignity has been given to you by God himself. We are created in the image of God, like, like God, in a sense that we resemble him. Your moral, intellectual, Relational capacities uh, are like God. Your desire to love and to care, your ability to speak and to work, capacity to forgive and encourage, all these are traits that resemble God in whose image we have been created. So the same thing could be said about men as well. And that's the point. Men and women are both created in the image of God. So from the beginning of the Bible, God's telling us that... Uh, uh, there is no superiority uh, of male or female. We are both created equal. All men and women are created equal. And that goes against, um, you know, the culture and the country that we live in. Uh, any relationship where a man is thought to be better than a woman or a woman is thought to be better than a man where a man or a woman is treated as inferior or an object to be used or abused to control when we feel that way or when we understand or, or, or decide to be that way, we're going directly against the teachings 
of God. Our world is filled with cultures and countries that still view this um, view it this way. It's never right to disparage or belittle or women or men. And there's no uh, 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 sexual inferiority or superiority, misogyny, male dominance, female exploitation. All of these things are sinful violation of God's word. And there's no place for them in the world. Men and women possess equal dignity before God and equally distinguished by God. God did not create gender-neutral people. He created man and woman, both distinguished and unique, God-given dignity. You know, we live in a culture where feminism is often equated with downplaying or defaming or disparaging or outright denying the God-designed distinction. And the message that we see also in feminism is there is nothing uniquely wonderful about being a woman. When the Bible says that there absolutely is. And this is important. Uh, where various women are tempted to think that I wish I was a man. Or men wishing that they were a woman. And we cannot believe the lies of the world. God created you good. Very good. He actually says in actually uh, verse 31 of Genesis 1. We are created physically different, different but yet equally dignified. So to every woman in the in the congregation here, the word of God says that you are wonderfully and beautifully formed by God himself in his own very image. And the word when I use beautifully created, we need to not let our mind go to what the world defines as beauty. If we look at Proverbs, the woman in Proverbs 31 we don't see hardly any mention of physical appearance in that passage. And that's the one thing that our culture, our country likes to exalt above everything else is physical beauty. You know, there's businesses that spend billions of dollars. There's entertainment industry that spends countless hours trying to uh, convince women and young women that their esteem is all based on their outward appearance. And that is a lie. And the word of God says in Proverbs 31, 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So you are dignified and you are dis distinguished. My next point, to every wife, you are an invaluable treasure. If we go to Genesis 2, 18 through 24, it says there, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compar comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, of the to the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. That, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, and he, Lord God had taken him, man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. So the picture here uh, in Genesis, uh, all the way up to Genesis 2.18, everything in the Bible was good. This resound you know, through 1 and 2, God saw that what he created and it was good. It was good. We keep seeing it was good over and over again until we get to verse 18 of chapter 2 where it says, and it was not good. And what was not good is that man was alone. According to God, man needs woman and woman needs man. And from the beginning of the Bible, we learn that men and women are created by God to, to complement one another. And that goes back to the distinguished point that we touched on. We realize that men and women are, distinct, are distinct for a reason. And that distinction is more than just difference in physical anatomy. It's, it's not an uh, evolutionary uh, accident. It's not biologically chance. Uh, God creating man and woman and woman, you know, man to need woman and, and woman to need man. Uh, uh, there, there's so many ways and specifically in, in marriage. And this goes against, of course, what we are taught. Sometimes what's taught even in the schools uh, these days, um, that what defines marriage. And according to the Bible, we do not have the right to redefine what God has defined from the very beginning. We do not have that right. Who do we think we are to go against what God has designed? And God designed it for a very specific reason. The Bible teaches that from the beginning when God made man, then woman, bringing them together in a relationship called marriage. He wasn't just rolling a dice or, or flipping a coin or leaving it to chance between men and women. God had a purpose. And he was painting a picture. He had a purpose and the picture that we are fully realized when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead in victory over sin and then instituted the church. And that's the point. The Bible says here in Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the design and the definition of marriage, God was painting a picture, and in marriage, God was illustrating his love for his people. So God's design for marriage, he designed it in a way where a husband's sacrificial love for his wife was a picture of Christ's sacrificial love for the church. And he also, uh, uh, in wife's respect for her, her husband, the world would see a picture of the church's reverence for Christ. So, wives, you are an invaluable treasure in marriage, apart from whom marriage is not even possible. So contrary to what the world may say, women are not optional in marriage. Our next point, to mothers and grandmothers, God is using your life in ways you cannot imagine. So apart from the purpose in marriage, there's also the multiplication of more people made in the image of God. And this is the first commandment that was really given to man and woman. Uh, we read in Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. So. Biblically, we could go from page to page, numerous points, um, seeing mothers like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Naomi, Ruth, and the mother in Proverbs 31, whose children rise, rise up and call her blessed. Uh, 
Elizabeth, the mother of John, as well as Mary, the mother of Jesus. But there's, there's two uh, women that I want to point us to, and it's found in 1 Timothy 5. Or second, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1. And this is a letter to Timothy, uh, a man who played a huge role in the spread of the gospel. Um, and Paul writes these words in verse 5 of 1 Timothy um, or 2 Timothy 1. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and am persuaded in you also. So we know, we can read in Acts 16, that Timothy's dad was a Greek and most likely not a believer, but yet Timothy had sincere faith in Christ. How? So, Paul is telling us that Timothy's sincere, authentic faith in God had been modeled by women in his life and had been passed down by his mother and his grandmother in a home day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year in a home um, that has really has, affects us today here. We read about what Eunice and Lois did in the life of Timothy. We learn from that. And so, mothers and grandmothers, I want us to understand that God, if you let him, is using your life in a way, in your home, that reverberates far beyond your home and what you see now. Much like everything else we see in God's Word today, this also is undercut and undervalued in our culture. Now, I want to be clear that the Bible does not say whether... Or not, a mother should work outside the home. Various mothers do, various mothers don't. The Bible does not specifically uh, teach on that. But the Bible does say that we should absolutely value a mother's work in the home. And we live in a day where the, even the idea of a mother just, uh, 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 just being a mom in and of itself or prioritizing all that mother's involved is actually be seen as second class. Or even a waste of somebody's life. A squandering life. And that thinking is biblically wrong. And it's practically absurd. And I would say and I would argue that few things are far more important than the raising of children. And the formation of children. And this is the foundation which... The world is built is how we raise our children. Being a mother or a grandmother is no way second class or is a waste. It's a wonderful thing to be raising children for the glory of God. Now, I also don't think that there is a... I haven't met a mother or a grandmother who has regretted pouring all that they have into their children. And I think anybody here can say the same thing. And I guarantee that Lois and Eunice did not regret pouring their faith into their son and grandson. And I guarantee that they had no idea the effect that Timothy would have upon the world in future times. So to mothers and grandmothers, hear what God tells us that he is, if you choose, if you let God lead, that he is using your life in ways that you cannot imagine. So press on, preserve, persevere. During the long days, during the longer nights, during the delightful days, and during the dark and hard, difficult days. Press on and persevere. 
trusting that your love for your children or grandchildren is never, ever in vain. And be encouraged if you are a single mother or a mom whose husband is not a follower of Christ. Timothy's dad is not mentioned in the scriptures here, leading his child. So especially when you're doing the task alone, know that God himself is your ever-present help. When you feel like you're falling short, know that God promises to keep you, sustain you, strengthen you, uphold you with his right hand, and use your life in ways that you cannot see in the day-to-day struggle. <coughs> to single women, God is all-sufficient and all-satisfying. So a little background, just a hundred years ago, or more, roughly around then, more than 90% of the adult population in our country was married. Most people married young, divorce was uncommon, and even widows remarried, remarried quickly. For the most part, being an adult was synonymous with, with, with uh, being married, and singleness was considered to be rare if you were an adult. So today, almost half of the population in, our, in this country here is unmarried. Nearly half of the adults have either never married or are now widowed or separated or divorced. People are staying uh, single longer than ever before. And as a result, single adults are almost as common as married adults today. So what are we to think about this? What are we to do with this information? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How does the Bible direct us on this? It's interesting, you know, if you go to Christian bookstores, um, there are just an unnumerable amount of books on, on uh, marriage and parenting compared with a small number that you see as far as uh, having, to, having to deal with singleness. And it's interesting, you know, uh, you see in, in, the few mar- in the, some marriage books um, that they see marriage as a good thing and they talk about all the problems that is in marriage and how to deal with these problems and then when you find the single books on single, uh, being single, you know, they, they tell you about everything that you need to do to be able to look for a husband or a wife and how to, how to get to that point. So, you know, when you're single, you do everything you can to get to marriage. Then you read the books of marriage and books of marriage tell you about all the problems that are in marriage. So it's kind of funny when you think about it, you know, maybe the same writers are in a conspiracy and taking all of our money. We don't know. But uh, there's got to be a better answer to the books that we can pick up and try to read on. And there is. And the Bible gives us pictures throughout Scripture of men and women who are single. And it is not a problem to be single, but it is a blessing. And the top of the list, when we think of single people, single men would be Jesus, John the, Bapti- John the Baptist, and Paul. Single women would include people like Mary and Martha, Miriam, Lydia, and... Um, some single women might be tempted to think that because you're not a mother or because you're not married that you are not fulfilling God's plan and, or God's design in some way. And some might even say that you need a husband to complete you. But the Bible does not say that. The Bible, of course, gives pictures of wives and moms. But the Bible also tells us that in Christ, we are complete regardless of our marital status. We can read that in Galatians 3 and 4. And, and being single is a gift to be maximized for God's glory. 
Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says it is good to be single for the sake of the kingdom. An interesting passage that I found is Isaiah 54, 5. It says, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. So, according to God, you are absolutely complete in Christ. I was also thinking about how to touch on every situation that we have here in this building. And we also have widows here as well. And... To all the widows, God is your never-failing, always faithful provider. And God has given us clear, continual, comprehensive instructions in His Word, specifically for the care of widows. Throughout the Old Testament, God gives clear commands to His people to provide for widows. Those commands are powerfully portrayed in the story of Ruth and Naomi, two widows who story we could read about and gain so much knowledge from. Then in the New Testament, we read about uh, in 1 Timothy 5, uh, how to honor widows. In Psalm 68, 5, true religion looks after widows. In Psalms 146, 9, God is the protector of widows. In Jeremiah 49 and 11, God is the one whom widows can trust. As a reminder to us here, who have the capabilities of caring for widows, if we do not, we are in opposition of God's commands. So if we are capable to care for widows, we need to be doing so. My next point, to the women who are hurting, God sees your sorrows and he hears your cries. D.A. Carson, which is a, some consider to be a modern day scholar, um, he states that in all of ancient Near Eastern literature, as far as he can tell, there is only one woman who deity addressed directly by name, and that's in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Her name was Hagar. She was a slave um, who was harshly treated by uh, Sarah, and she flees and finds herself in the wilderness alone where God comes to her and calls her by her name. And her response in Genesis 16, 13 says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Then later, in another uh, time where she was in the wilderness, when she was alone with her baby boy who was about to die, God spoke to her again and said in Genesis 21, 17, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So, I can only imagine that there are people here today in this room, women, who may be hurting in some kind of way. Some women who may feel belittled, feel broken, abandoned, feel alone, even when you're in a crowd. And some wonder if God sees or hears your sorrows and hears your cries. And I want you to understand that God absolutely does hear our cries and hears our sorrows. Psalms 56, 8 says, You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. This word wanderings here, very interesting. 
Some other translations have this as sorrows, and one translation had this as tossings. So if we put tossings there, you number my tossings and you put my tears in your bottle. I thought tossings? <laughs> what in the world could tossings mean? And or wanderings. And what that's what that's talking about is that's talking about that God knows every time that we are just maybe upset for some sort of reason, are unsettled, or lack of sleep because we are worried about whatever, name a topic. God knows every single time that that happens. He knows every single tear that we've shed. He doesn't just see and hear things. He promises to uphold us in the midst of our hurt, especially when we've been hurt by others' sin against you, or even if we've been hurt by our sin against God. So don't ever feel like you're failing as a mother or as a wife. You know, you may feel that way. Do you ever feel like you can't measure up to the standards that the world puts in front of our face? Maybe we look on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be and compare ourselves to, you know, the next mother or the next wife down the road or whatever it may be. Those are, um, you know, we start to think to ourselves that we can't keep up. One woman that I thought about in the Bible is Rahab. The woman who is known in the Bible as an example of faith and even is listed in the lineage of Jesus. Um, Rahab's profession was prostitution. You know, um, you know, I'm sure she didn't plan on her name being in the Bible for ages and ages to come. But she was faithful. So, not one woman or not one man in this room is without sin. No, not one woman or one man or man can measure up to God's holy standard. And as a result, we are in our sin, in our sinful state, we are separated from God. But the good news is that the Bible, uh, we can read that the God on high, our maker, our creator, loves us. And he created a plan for us to be redeemed to him. No, no matter what, as long as we follow his will. God has made a way for us to be forgiven of all of our sins, free from all of our guilt. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead in victory over the grave. There is nothing, no matter how much we work, no matter how much we do here in this life, there is nothing that we can do to earn God's grace and God's love. But we have God's love. I just see the salvation. We, we cannot earn it. But if we, if we repent of our sins, confess his name, and be baptized for the remission of our sins, and let Jesus have lordship over our lives, we can be in unity with him. So, a couple more points. To those facing the impossible, God is your strength. So, I'm sure there are women here that they, cannot, they feel that they cannot do it all. You know, try to do everything you can to make ends meet to make the schedule, to get all the tasks done, to keep up with the kids and their activities, everything. Being a mother or, or being in a marriage or singleness, you know, you feel, sometimes you feel like the responsibilities are too hard. God's Word says, uh, 
who we could probably consider the most prominent woman in the Bible, Mary, she considered the task which God chose her for. She did not feel worthy. She felt like she could not do it. And God, through the angel Gabriel, said to her in Luke 137, for God, nothing, for with God, nothing is impossible. In other words, with what God wants you to do according to his will, living to his standards, anything is possible. In verse 38, look how Mary responded. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. So, the bad news that I want to share this morning is on your own, you cannot do with what God has called us to do. You cannot be the single woman God wants you to be. You cannot be the wife God wants you to be. You cannot be the mother God wants you to be. You cannot be the woman God has called you to be on your own. God has instructed us that we do not have to do these things on our own. We can't do any of those things on our own. We need God to help us and to do that. God promises to empower us. So to any woman who feels maybe overwhelmed or an impossible task in front of them, the God of our universe is our strength and is on our side. And based upon that, our last point to every sister in Christ, do not underestimate your role in making the gospel and glory of God known in the world around you. Abigail, the wife of a wicked man, yet her wisdom and generosity saved her family from death in 1 Samuel 25. Deborah, who brought a great victory for God's people in the time of the judges, Judges 4 through 5. Ruth, who shows power of redemption through her loyalty and love, Ruth 1 through 4. Esther, who risked her life to save the Jewish people from total extermination, Esther 1 through 10. Then in the New Testament, I don't think we realize how radical Jesus changed things in those times. In ancient Greece, a respectable woman couldn't even leave the house unless she was accompanied by a man. A wife couldn't eat or interact with males. Women had the social status of slaves. Ancient Rome wasn't much different. You know, a husband had the power of life and death over his wife. He could divorce her even if she went into public without a veil. And unfortunately, sometimes today in cultures that we can see that that is still the case. And back in those times, Jesus came onto the scene and raised the status of women to an entirely new level. He redefined the dignity of women through his interactions with them in a way that redefines the dignity of you know, how we treat women today. His interactions with Mary and Martha and the Samaritan woman at the well and, and, and countless others that we can't even read about. Jesus contradicted the anti-female culture. He set the standards for the church to follow. Uh, we can see this in Lydia and Phoebe, Priscilla, uh, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Yodia, and, and other names and unnamed women um, that were instruments in God's hand for the glory of God. So God has uniquely and wonderfully designed your life for His glory in the world. And do not estimate at any moment that your role is any less important than man's in the spread of the gospel. It is all of our responsibilities. Womanhood 
is to be prized, is a prize to be praised. So fear God, trust the word over the words of the world, follow his ways over the world, and spend your life as a woman for the spread of the gospel. Husbands, praise your wife, honor, esteem, love, serve, and lay down your life for them unselfishly. The gospel is so good for all. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with the information we have from God's word? How do we respond? We hear the word. We believe that Jesus, as God in the flesh, came here and died for our sins. We repent of our old ways. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God and we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And we start following Christ. He is the Lord of our lives at that point. We do everything to please and to serve Him. And if you are not baptized today, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There is no bad decision in becoming a Christian. Not one. You'll never regret it. If you are a baptized believer and you may have slipped or fallen or made a public sin or just need the prayers of the church, what are you waiting for to make it right? There is no bad decision in following Jesus. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.